Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, everyone. The pod is back for um, right around the quietest stretch of the season in college basketball. Obviously, we've come and gone with finals week, but the Christmas few days are very, very quiet in the sport other than the Diamond Head Classic. Diamond Head Classic, Brad, um, for those that are curious about the field this year, has some decent names, but definitely has dropped off in terms of the quality over the last several years because it used to be you get like a couple of high majors in the diamond Ed classic and uh i remember like uh the hawaii team with otan jankovic beating people in that event this year's event stefan only... jankovic yes what was it stefan jankovic the transfer oh. from missouri yeah otan jankovic played at tulane my apologies yeah. um but the diamond head classic is our only our last our last stand for college basketball during christmas week uh, Washington State, SMU, Iona, Utah State, Pepperdine, Seattle U, Hawaii, and George Washington. Yikes. So, not a great field. Iona, I keep seeing people being like, oh, Iona could be an at-large team. It's like, mm, they've lost to New Mexico, Santa Clara, and Hofstra. And their best win is St. Louis at home. They're- Which, I mean, win every game and you can lose the last one territory for – Yes, no, no, they have to yeah. go like nineteen and one though. They can't go like they can't go seventeen and three like they did last year. No, I, I think Sam Houston's in that boat. Um, College Charleston maybe could afford one loss in conference or something, but College Charleston I think go like two, two, three losses. Me maybe in the mix. Depends on how that with a Virginia Tech win ages. But yeah, no, there's some intrigue there. There's some intrigue with Utah State. He's theoretically one of the better teams in the Mount, Mountain West. Washington State just pushed Baylor, but. These are not games that like you got to be locked in for. So if you want to watch football, if you want to watch the NBA on Christmas Day, which is obviously a tradition, go ahead. No one's gonna, no one's gonna stop you. So um, we've had a lot of action, including the slate that I think a lot of people claim to be the best slate of the college basketball season. Certainly the best slate to date on December the 17th, the big Saturday of hoops. That was a lot of fun. Lots to get to from that. Um, but first, Brad. You were at one of the games of the year in college basketball just uh, just last night between Providence and Marquette. Give us the uh, give us a thirty thousand foot view of what that game was like because it was obviously a double overtime, exciting, but the runs in that game were unbelievable. The way it swung back and forth. Because Providence was up, I think like eleven points in the first half, and they played some weird, funky lineups, and then it was a one point game at halftime. Marquette punches him in the mouth. Cam Jones had some crazy, this crazy in and out dribble to the rim. He, Hit a three, um, you know, they, they were in control. They were up nine. And then problems went with the starters except Breed for Locke. Clawed back. A um, couple timely threes to get that tied. Um, they they missed a couple of good looks at the end of regulation. Then overtime, they come out. They're up eight with two minutes left, and they blow it because of some full-court press mishaps. Yes. <laughs> but they, they they survive and then second overtime they squeak ahead as 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 Marquette was losing guys to foul outs and Marquette fans are crying about the foul discrepancy, which I mean, look at all your skinny guys and like look at Oso and Cam Jones versus Devin Carter and Ed Croswell. Like Croswell, Hopkins, Carter, they're going through you. They're Athletic, they're physical, they're attacking you through the rim. 
Whereas guys like Jones and Joplin and Kolek, they're doing it with craft and kind of pivots and flip shots. And, you know, so I I certainly did not think that the foul discrepancy was egregious in terms of what was being called and what wasn't being called. How about about this for this summary uh, of this game? At one point, Providence had a 6.1% chance of winning with five minutes to go in the game. They rallied, they get it to overtime. Then in overtime, they score the first eight points or whatever it was, and they have a 97.5% chance of winning. Marquette forces another overtime. Marquette at one point takes a 75% chance of winning, and then Providence roars down the stretch and wins the game. So very back and forth. One of the more thrilling games I've seen in college basketball this season. Terrific win for Providence behind 29 and 23 from Bryce Hopkins and 20 from Ed Croswell. I want to put this out there on this podcast before we move on to other affairs. I got a bunch of hate from knowledgeable college basketball people, including my good friend Rob Doster, for daring to claim that, quote, Ed Croswell was low-key just as good as Nate Watson last year. Now I'd like to point everyone to the stat sheets because – Rob, Rob Doster told me I was an idiot. Everyone said I was dumb for this opinion. Ed Croswell right now is averaging 13.2 points, 6.6 rebounds, and six and shooting 64% from the field in 25 minutes a game. What did Nate Watson average last year, you ask? Oh, yeah. Nate Watson averaged 13.3 points, 5.2 rebounds, on 55% shooting in 28 minutes a game. Ed Croswell has been really good. A revelation for Providence. He's so big and strong. Once you get the ball inside, it's, it's over. Um, and as Providence has played better their last five games after getting stomped on in the second half at TCU, it's been a lot of focus of getting the ball inside. Um, because some of their bye games, like against Memory Mac and Columbia, and you know, all, all these teams sat in a zone and Providence was just you know, missing three after three. They revert course. You know, they, they change their focus to get the ball inside, and Croswell's finished, and Hopkins has put up 30 and 20s, and uh, things are looking up. Now, from a macro perspective in the Big East, I think to make the tournament, you're going to have to go at least 13 and 7. And that 13 and 7 would be no DePaul and Georgetown losses and no UConn wins. I would say 12 and 8. I don't know. There are very few quad one opportunities in that. We know that that doesn't mean a ton. It doesn't mean as much as people think. You know, the field's basically picked without using metrics. And then the last, you know, maybe eight or so spots. We, is is when the quads and the net and all that stuff come into play, but I th- I think thirteen and seven is safe because you know that would be the you you probably lost to like a Villanova you lo- you know m- maybe went one and three against the top four teams in the Big East or whatever but I I think most likely I think five Big East teams get in and I'm pretty confident that those at least the top four of UConn, Marquette, Xavier, and Creighton. I think that they can all get at least 14 wins in half. Fair enough. Let's move on. Um, again, huge week of 
hoops, tons of action we had behind us. Um, I want to start with Virginia and the ACC at large, because I think the ACC is incredibly interesting. I think Virginia and their journey throughout this season has been very interesting. Virginia 0-2 in their last two games. They lose to Houston at home. They lose to Miami on the road. Both were relatively close games. Neither are like huge red flags, certainly, um, in terms of the way that they played on paper, right? Like those are games that if they didn't have them back-to-back, people would probably say, okay, that's a loss, that's a loss, not a huge deal. But I do think you've started to see, both dating back the last few games before these two losses and now in these two games, some of the limitations here with Virginia that I think people jumped to jumped on the bandwagon too early on after the Baylor game, right? First off, Baylor's not as good as we thought they'd be. Baylor's now 15th in Ken Palm. They lost to Marquette by 26. They, you know, played the kind of 50-50 game against Gonzaga on a neutral. They struggled with Washington State and Northwestern State in the past week. They are not overwhelmingly good, and they struggle defensively. Uh, and I've mentioned this on other platforms, but Virginia, Virginia shooting, the buzz about Virginia shooting was – well, they made nine for 14 against Baylor, 13 of 25 against Monmouth, and 11 of 25 against North, North NC Central. And that nine of 14 against Baylor even deserves further scrutiny because eight of those were in the eight minute stretch in the second half when they went from losing to up by 20. And it was just a massive supernova from Reese Beekman and uh, from Armand Franklin to, to pull away and win that game. Since that point, Virginia has now played seven games and they haven't made more than six threes in any of them. They haven't shot over 33% in any of them, except for the Michigan game in which they shot four for eight from three, which is a minuscule three point rate. They struggle generally a bit offensively against Miami. They had in the first 30 minutes, they scored um, 36 points and kind of finished finished strong, but that was in kind of a scramble mode late. Um, Against Houston, they score the game's first nine points. They make three threes in the first um, seven minutes of the game. And after that, they go quiet offensively. They struggle. They score 61 for the game. I think Virginia's offense has become way overrated for what they are because they still only have one NBA player, and he's really a defense-first guy in Reese Beekman. I think their defense is good, but it's not a overwhelming defense it's not a you know national title isaiah wilkins defense it's not a um you know deandre hunter defense it's not a you know malcolm brogdon defense it's a good defense but they're 23rd in ken palm on the end of the floor and there aren't necessarily luck metrics involved in that in fact teams have been pretty average in terms of how they've shot the ball from the three and from the free throw line which are good indicators right they do do protect the rim well but the Virginia is the clear favorite in the ACC. They're better than everyone else. That narrative should be dead at this point, Brad. And I, I personally always said I thought Duke was going to win the ACC, and now Duke didn't have Lively and Whitehead, who have been what their sixth and seventh best players this year, um, against Wake Forest. So I, I guess we'll have to see on on if Duke's going to win it. Uh, but it. it, it Looks like Virginia is just the team that we thought in the preseason. I think I had them 19 or something in the preseason. You look at their T-rank page, the Baylor and Illinois wins, who at the time we thought maybe those are two top 10 wins. Baylor's 21st in T-rank, Illinois is 22nd, 
and Virginia is 23rd. Um, right. They might so, be marginally better. Like Virginia might be a top 15 team, but they're yeah, certainly not a you know top five. Elite, no. Yeah. They're they're not up there with UConn and Houston and Purdue and uh, Tennessee and some of those other teams. Uh, Arizona, UCLA. Uh, they're like a third tier team this year. Um, in terms of how that affects the ACC is really interesting because the ACC does not have any probably tier one or tier two teams, but between Duke, Virginia, and a new trendy favorite in Virginia Tech, UNC looks like they may have started figuring it out as well. Um, they have a few good teams at the top. Even Miami. I mean, Miami is 12-1 yeah. and one now. Their one loss was to a Maryland team that was rolling at that point. They have you know, some of their wins have aged nicely. Neutral over Providence has aged relatively well. Road at UCF has aged very well. Win against Rutgers is solid, right? They just beat Virginia. I don't know that I think Miami's style with the way that they defend, um, I'm not sure that translates to a winning AC, winning the ACC. But, I mean, if you look at Ken Palm right now, the only two teams projected at 14 and 6 are Virginia Tech and Virginia, and then Miami, Duke, and North Carolina are projected at 13 and 7. And Brad, here's here's a good one for you. Guess the only other t- guess the only team below them picked twelve and eight. NC right. State. Nope. Whoa. You won't guess this. I don't think it's possible for you to guess this. Pittsburgh. Yeah, there you go. Well, because I have I have um, Virginia's T rank page up and Pitt is up to sixty eight in T rank. Yeah, they're seventieth in Ken Palm. Um, part of it is that they're already two and zero, and they have two road wins, so that's like already gonna bump you up to the chance of being 12 and 8 but so but. we uh we had touched on those those five teams at, at the top of the acc who i think are all probably top 25 teams you know somewhere Four between teams, yeah. 15 and 25 yeah um and then it gets really interesting because th- there's a clear and disgusting bottom right with right. you have louisville you have florida state boston college syracuse georgia tech georgia, syracuse doesn't belong in that group georgia tech does though Really? I thought Georgia Tech's been a little more feisty. A uh, really interesting litmus test game I mean, tonight is Clemson at Georgia Tech. Yeah. I mean, Georgia uh, Tech's beaten the, – what, what, what's the definition of their feistiness? I they beat Georgia at home. Because they've lost all four games that matter. Maybe it's, Three of those were by double figures. I, I thought that they would be the clear last-place team, and they're like the clear 10th-place team. Yes. I, they're not the clear 10th-place team, but they are not as bad as BC – they're not as bad as Louisville, and they're not as bad right now as Florida State. And like they're a 94th in T rank. I think if you put a gun to my head in the preseason, I would have put them at like 130 or something. Yeah, so, I agree. I agree. Um, but so th- there's a clear bottom, there's a clear top, and then there's a really interesting middle, right, where the middle can be pulled toward the bottom or pulled toward the top. And you know, and NC State, which has looked the part but doesn't really have a a resume to this point, Clemson has four guys shooting at least four starters, excuse me, shooting 41% or better from three, um, which we, we will see if that translates to ACC success, but that is an incredible note. And they have two potential Q3 losses already. And South Carolina honestly could get to Q4. <laughs> they could. Um, Can you imagine a Q, a road power five game being Q4? Get a few of those this year with Louisville and Georgetown and South Carolina, Cal, Minnesota, maybe. Yeah, but Clemson, I know I talked to one staff that was very impressed with them on film. Um, Wake Forest just got a huge win 
completely right, so like season changer because they have th- been those are the three teams down. in the middle i think are nc state clemson and wake forest is pitt 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 has, has the numbers i i don't know if i could buy into i don't want to buy it but like since that horrible first two weeks they've been pretty good i know that's that thing. scares me and then like notre dame i think i'm no, really out of notre dame i think they, i'm really out of notre dame they have nate Nate Lashewski, a very skilled big man, playing the five. He, he's provided no resistance. They this this team is similar to Syracuse of last year, except more extreme in terms of like too much shooting and not enough defense. Like, at least Syracuse only... had Jesse Edwards last year to go along with the Bayheims and Joe Girard. Notre Dame just has like five shooters and no one who's going to get a stop. They also only have seven players. Right, because Marcus Hammond was hurt to start the year. But he's in now. He's in now. He's uh, number seven. Lubin has been playing, but has not been as advertised as a freshman. I'm uh, I'm big on Mr. Lubin, but. And then Dom, Dom Campbell has barely played as a freshman. On their their Ken Palm page only shows seven players on it, which is just unbelievable. And like Campbell's that type of. Ed, Ed Croswell type of big that uh, I would love to see Campbell in the portal. Just gonna say it. Right. In uh, terms of skill set, he's what that Notre Dame needs. Someone who's gonna come in, hit somebody, and get a rebound. Yeah, six uh, nine, two seventy. He must just be too far behind. Between Dom Campbell and Matt Zona, some of these guys really need to, you know, shit or get off the pot. Like, what are we doing? Right. Because right, Notre Dame has always done that kind of the end of the bench yes. is like these kind of no name two and three star recruits. But back in the day, those guys as upperclassmen were being, like, legit con- contributors. I mean, the, the most notable being Matt Farrell, yes. who was a great point guard for them. Uh, but I, I, the, the first time I noticed this was with Tom Knight, who was a center back um, maybe, like, 2012. I, mean, I, I think he was their starting center the last year of the old Big East. And he was a guy who... First two or two or three years, like didn't play at all. Then one game there was an injury or foul trouble or something. He came in, had a big game, and then just kind of was a nice solid biggie center um, from from then on out. And then a similar thing with the guy Austin Burgett, who I think came down to earth after a while, but he was like a stretch four. Um, so they they were turning those roster spots in, into contributions. But now, um, you know, they have what three or four guys back there that are just complete waste of scholarships at this point yes um yeah i think they're really bad um they got destroyed by georgia's front court of matthew alexander moncrief and braylon bridges which is really a bad sign um, also Igadaro had like 16 and 20 against them yes well um are you buying that north carolina's back because i have a i have a nuanced opinion about north carolina from that game which is that if North Carolina is back, we'll look back at the Ohio State game as the game they regained their mojo, right? Like back against the wall, you know, iron five, guards made shots, you know, big cut 28 and 15, right? That's the recipe that they had in March. They're they're not back in terms of being number one or number two, wherever. You know, I, I had a number two. I think most people had them one or two. They're not back in terms of that. Uh, but I think that they are probably a top 25 team at this point. Yeah, the fact that they're not ranked kind of 
whatever. I mean, that's yeah. rank however they want, however you want. The AP poll is a dumpster fire right now. Um, but I think I think that was a huge turning point for them to take a punch, be down, you know, ten down the stretch, rally, make a shot at the horn, right? I mean, especially you know, given that there've been some questions about Pete Nance fitting in with this group. I feel like him making a shot like that is is huge in terms of the buy-in and and that everyone has with him. Baycott was Baycott. Um, you know, if you look back and and look at the PK games, he was just quiet. He was quiet against Portland. He was quiet against Iowa State. He had a better day against Alabama, but even against Alabama, it was you know a huge minute load to get to the tally he had because of the four overtime game. Um, and he's been kind of consistently in foul trouble as well, which he was able to dodge against Ohio State and play those 37 minutes. So, um, you know, obviously huge, huge win. I like this Iowa, uh, excuse me, this Ohio State team a lot. I think they're very, very good. So the fact that North Carolina was able to win that game is big. It, it also, for all intents and purposes, means we don't have to worry about North Carolina, right? Like there's become this like, is Creighton going to make the NCAA tournament thing? And if North Carolina had lost this game and they lost to Michigan, you might have said, okay, like there's there's a real risk here, but I don't think at this point there's any risk. North Carolina will be in. They'll probably be a top four-ish seed, I think. I think they have a real chance to win the ACC if they get yeah. it right. Um, I know the Virginia Tech buzz. I'm thinking about picking Virginia Tech. I'm doing like repicking um, the conference champions. I'm thinking about buying the Virginia Tech stock. They're just very very solid, and Sean Padula is really in his Colin Gillespie bag right now, which is kind of great. Uh, but I, I think really it's those four, and if you want to add Miami, those five that are a cut above. In terms of the big brands that could potentially miss the tournament, or at least teams that were super high or even relatively high on in the preseason that could miss the tournament, um, I, I think the two that come to mind immediately, because I, I think UNC is going to be fine. I, I think Creighton is going to be fine. Um, Michigan and Texas Tech are two that were either ranked or very close to ranked in, in, in the preseason. I think they're in serious trouble here. Um, Michigan's had a lot of close by games, which kind of brings down their, their number. And with the emergence of Penn State and your Northwestern Wildcats in, in the Big Ten, you know, it, it's really like the, the the Big East had like a disappointing non-con um, where there's not going to be enough quality wins. The 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 Big Ten kind of screwed itself because there are too many good teams, right? We we had touched on this. I I don't know if it was a previous show or it, it just talking in person, but Northwestern's not going to go like three and seventeen, Great. right? They're they're going to go six and fourteen or something, and. Er- for, for every win that Penn State and Northwestern get, you know, the 9-10-11 or the 8-9-10s, like Michigan State, Michigan, Rutgers, they're going to be sweating because there are just too, too many opportunities to lose. Right. Even if you want to put Nebraska in the, like, dump bin, right? Like, okay, they're going to yeah. win four games, right? Even if you want to put them in with Minnesota, like, Northwestern is kind of feisty. Northwestern is blowing the doors off teams right now. Blew the doors off DePaul, blew the doors off UIC, beat Michigan State. They're really defending. Like, honestly, Northwestern kind of looks tournament caliber on paper, like, um, just like eye test wise. 
but I will tell you why they probably are going to come up well, relatively short. Northwestern's schedule is brutal. And this is not just me being a Northwestern guy or Big Ten, whatever. Last year, Northwestern played, there was a clear bottom five in last year's Big Ten, which was Northwestern, Maryland, Penn State, Minnesota, and Nebraska. Maryland, Northwestern, and Penn State all went 7-13 and in the league. Maryland, Northwestern, and Penn State also were under 500, and then Minnesota and Nebraska were really bad, right? Northwestern this year gets Nebraska once, Minnesota once, Penn State once. The easiest team, team that they get twice is Michigan. Northwestern gets... Like, like last year, they played eight games against the bottom five. This year, they're going to play two games against the bottom two. And when you go through the schedule, right, they already got one Big Ten win at the road win at Michigan State. But when you go through the schedule and you're seeing, like, home Illinois feels like a must win. Like, home Wisconsin feels like a must win, right? Like, I know Northwestern basketball well enough. Like, they're going to lose these games. That's just the way they are. Their fans are gonna their fans are gonna be outnumbered in their home gym. They're gonna they're gonna go on a losing streak. They're gonna win six league games. And if they had a favorable conference schedule where they could just run up ten league wins and go dancing, I think they'd look the part. I don't think it'd be stealing a bit. But they, I just don't see where they're getting all these wins from. Like, unless somebody gets like dis- disastrously hurt, right? Like if. Wisconsin lost Tyler Wall or Michigan lost Hunter Dickinson. If Chris Murray's out for the year at Iowa, right? Like stuff like that. That would obviously swing things. But Northwestern getting Illinois twice, Indiana twice. Um, Purdue only once is a fortunate one, but it's at home, which you'd prefer. I'd probably just prefer it to be a road game because either way, you're probably losing it. You know, like. Their schedule is not at all favorable. Now, on the other hand, if you look in the Big Ten, Michigan has one of the easier schedules because Michigan plays Minnesota twice. Um, They play Northwestern twice. They play Nebraska, I believe, twice. Let me confirm that. No, just once. Excuse me. Um, But honestly, I think the unbalanced schedule could be the difference for like these teams that are going to be in that like eight, eight and 12 range of who gets in and who doesn't. Right. Because you're going to run into the quantity of loss thing or like if if Purdue goes seven and 13 in the Big Ten, they should still go to the NCAA tournament. But like anyone else, you know, seven and 13 is going to be uh a little questionable. It, it, it's a kind of crazy. I mean, if, if I think you could make a case now, you could make a case that every conference kind of had a disappointing non-conference. And now the Big Twelve one's a little bit of a stretch, but like for what they wanted to achieve to dispel a certain narrative, right? Like the the whole thing with the Big Ten is, oh, we haven't won a championship since you know twenty something years or whatever. And you come out of the non-con, like, do you think any of these Big Ten teams can win a championship? Right, really. like, you're looking at the ACC, right? And the ACC is like, we're gonna turn, we're gonna deter, uh, you know, prove that last year was a fluke. And right now, they're the seventh best conference on T rank. You know, you look at the Big East just fighting for notoriety always, and Creighton and Villanova disappoint, and 
DePaul and Georgetown are dragging down the metrics. You look at the SEC is now tied with the Big East on T-Rank for conference strength. And they also had a lot of disappointment at the top. Uh, and the, the, the whole middle has completely fallen off. LSU sells a good record about smoke and mirrors. Yeah, very oh, smoke and mirrors. Oh, oh, Miss just cost me a strike and rushed the court eliminator, losing North Alabama, 23-point favorites. What a disaster. Texas A&M. Now, Texas A&M is a they, – they are certainly disappointing. But they, they never had that much talent to begin with. You know, the fact that people were ranking in the top 25 never, never made any sense to me. They added a bunch of transfers. We, we said at the time, you know, these are like fourth, fifth best players. You know, who's who's your best player? Dexter Dennis, Tyrese Radford. Like these guys can't be your best player. Come on. It's either Booster Boots or Manny Obasaki or Taylor. Auburn is a defensive juggernaut. Auburn is a mega fraud. Right. They they cannot find it its way. Um, I hope to watch some of their game against Washington tonight. Um, I did not catch their game against USC. Um, and then lastly, you have Florida, who I, I, I was pretty convinced was going to be a pretty strong team. And for whatever reason, I can't really put my finger on them. I haven't, I haven't watched a ton of Florida. Um, outside my of thing it. with Florida, my, 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 my deal with Florida is this. Florida's offense is meant to have guards who can go get one, right? Like, they need a Jamari Bouye. And so they have Kyle Lofton. And Kyle Lofton is explicitly not Jamari Bouye. Um, and so I think there's a lot of times where, like, their offense is dribble the ball off the floor, throw it to the post with Castleton, teams double Castleton, he kicks it out, and no one's, like, cr- attacking off the advantage. Like, Will Richards a shooter, uh, not, like, a scorer. Um, their only, like, scorer is Trey Bonham, and that's not really good. But Florida is hanging around the conversation by the fact that they keep – blowing the doors off all their buy games. So they keep in like the top 50 of Ken Palm. So if they do ever figure it out, they're not hurt. They're not dead, but they haven't figured it out yet. The big 12 is really the one lone exception. Like you said, Brad, the big 12 has 10 teams in the top 50. Now of Ken Palm, you, I really don't know that there's a case for anyone other than Texas mm-hmm. tech as being like clearly underachieving. And even they haven't done anything that hurts them yet. Right. I, I think that the only thing that, like, if if you thought that the Big 12 was going to be the best conference by far, or, like, you thought that they were going to have three top 10 teams, you know, they're probably only going to have Kansas. Um, Baylor looks like they're like kind of a, a second-tier team. And Texas looked the part, uh, but I think that they're probably a t- ticking time bomb at this point. Um, are you buying, are you buying the, the top... 20 West Virginia buzz? No. Um, I watched them play Xavier. I, I never got any... Like, I... I think to best illustrate this point, right, in in Rush the Court Eliminator Challenge, you don't want to pick the good teams up front when they're, they're when teams are playing bye games. Right? So, I, I, I had planned on taking West Virginia against Stony Brook this week. And then I looked at their analytics, and they were like top ten. If I, I mean this, this, this was a team I had as an NIT team in the preseason. I still think that they're probably like a like a eight nine sort of NCAA tournament team. 
I don't I don't really get where the where the high analytical ranking is coming from. I watched them versus Xavier. I thought they were just like a fine tournament team. They're successfully beating the teams they're playing by a lot. Like Pitt by 25 looks great now. Florida by 28 looks really good. UAB by 11 looks good. Um, they've blown out some like buys. Um, they're shooting the cover off the ball, which is like Eric Stevenson has finally gotten hot, shooting 46% from three. Emmett Matthews is shooting 48% from three at like not low volume. Kind of wild. So, yeah, I don't know. They're going to come back to earth some, but I just don't know how much. But every other team, like TCU was disappointing early, but they've looked much better lately. Um, Kansas State at least looks feisty. Their only loss was Road Butler. They have some okay wins, right? Like neutral LSU is an okay win. Um, neutral Nevada is a quad two right now. Um, Nebraska is, I believe, a Q2, could be a Q3. I don't know that they'll get enough wins in Big 12 play, but that place is a tough place to play. Iowa State at 9 and 2 is probably better than we would have expected. Um, Oklahoma State was a little bit disappointing, but they've really have one disappointing loss, and that's Southern Illinois, and they're still top 30, 35 in the, the metrics. Oklahoma, again, you said maybe a little bit disappointing. They lost to Sam Houston over the season, but since then, their losses are Villanova and Arkansas, and they've beaten Seton Hall, Ole Miss, um, Florida, all in neutral courts. So, that, that's a whole lot of nothing there for those wins. Right, but those are not horrible. If that's the worst team in your league, you're doing pretty damn well. Absolutely. Right, because their worst team, Kansas State, is like floating around the 50s in the metrics. There's no there's no bad loss in the entire conference right now other than TCU to Northwestern State and um, Oklahoma Sam Houston and Oklahoma State to um, Southern Illinois and none of those are like disastrous at this point even Northwestern State probably is but there's no like Lafayettes or North Alabamas in there so. Um, I want to talk about Kansas at the top of the Big 12 because they were wildly impressive against Indiana. Jalen Wilson is averaging like 20 and 10 almost. And Jalen Wilson was 4 for 18 for the field in this game, and they still dominated. Like, I talked about this in my article, but we were so concerned about how would they look with K.J. Adams as a center, not having that true kind of post presence. But K.J. not only has been very good defensively, but KJ unlocks something for them offensively because he can really pass and move, right? The, the ability they can use him in like the dribble, dribble handoff game and like slipping screens, he's a real weapon. And when they want to go big, they always can with, uh, it seems like Edge of Four has jumped Ernest Uday in the rotation, which is an interesting note and probably good for the transfer list people. Yeah. Ernest and uh, Zach Clements are really out of it. But I think Kansas is awesome because Dewan Harris has been terrific. You have two unselfish guys in your backcourt and Harris and McCuller. Dick hunts threes. Wilson's been a terrific scorer. Adams is a great glue guy. You got Pettiford as a scorer off the bench. Edge of four is a big off the bench. It just has kind of a, a perfect flow and a rhythm to it. Right, and this 
two through five all being the same size and kind of switchable and everything. Um, there with with a guy like Adams at the five and Harris at the one, and wings like Wilson and McCullough. I mean this this defense is scary. Um, and Kansas currently looks like the clear best team in the best conference. Um, they should be pushing for a one seed, I think. Absolutely. I think, right, and their only loss is to Tennessee on a neutral. Right, and as as I said on the last show, and I'm sticking to it, I think that my one seeds are going to be, like like prediction, right, UConn, Arizona, Houston, and then I, I, I think Tennessee will get that fourth one just because their defense is so good. I could see them, you know, putting up a crazy record in the SEC. But Kansas is right there. Kansas is knocking on the door. And with with all the opportunities in, in the Big 12, with playing on the road at the worst team in the conference is a quadrant one, they're, they're going to have the most quadrant one wins in the country. You would think. Um, did you watch Arizona-Tennessee? Yes, but I checked out of the under-eight timeout. I was tired. But that was another game that was just – Two huge physical teams just, like, in a war. How about Balo finally taking that jump that we've been looking for since the Mali U19 days? Yeah, he's been awesome. I mean, the way that him and Pell Larson, Larson and uh, Tubelis run the floor is unbelievable. Like, is. And, and Creesa has been great with the hit-ahead passes. It's kind yeah. of Lonzo Ball at UCLA-esque. And... And Ramey's been been very good too. He fits in perfectly there, giving them that second ball handler. Do you like them or you like them over UCLA in the Pac-12? I do, just because they're like with that imposing size, and then their premier guys can all kind of shoot and create. I I just like that makeup a little better than UCLA's, who's a little on 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 the smaller side. Yeah, but UCLA um, has been a terror defensively. And that three-man duo of Campbell, Hawkins, and Clark has been a monster. Yeah, Clark's taken that step. He's like an NBA player at this point. And that Maryland game was scary. Um, that was an absolute explosion. And and once they get once they get mileage out of Amari Bailey, um, because Singleton's been playing well off the bench, the, the rest of the starters have been good. Bailey's the one where you know they were trying to run stuff for him. He was kind of flying toward the rim, looked a little out of control. Uh, if, if they can get him going and get a play more indicative of a top 10 recruit, then this is like a clear one seed caliber team as well. We'll see if they, you know, probably only room for one of Arizona and UCLA to get a one seed. But we'll see. There's been a huge drop off for Bailey in their biggest games versus some of the lower tier teams that they've played. He was double figures in all three games against Sac State, Long Beach, and Norfolk. And the minutes haven't really changed. Like, he's in that, like, 25-ish range, regardless. But double figures, three straight bye games to open the year. Then six total points in the two games against Baylor and Illinois. Then he comes back. He has double digits against Pepperdine, Pepperdine and Bellarmine. Um, double digits against Oregon and Stanford, who are neither very good. Um, and then one bye game against Denver that he struggled before. Seven combined points against Maryland and Kentucky. So, I think that's the one thing I would say is a little bit concerning with Amari, is... It just doesn't seem like it's translated up to big games. And do they need that? But I think they showed against Maryland and against Kentucky that they can be a force on the defensive end. Absolutely. And I'm picking them to win the Pac-12 because of it. 
what did you think of Kentucky? Did you see that game? Yes, against UCLA. Yes, I did. Um, I I think Kentucky will be fine, but but their fans don't want fine, right? Like this is I I, I still think Kentucky's a top twenty five team, but the the offense is very concerning. We were talking last time. I think it was uh, regarding the Kentucky Michigan game that that the role guys seem tentative, that the role guys seem to be playing not to make a mistake. I didn't notice that specifically against UCLA, but they just need more from, you know, Reeves and Wallace and Toppin. Uh, you know, everyone had Toppin as a top 100 player after a strong summer. Uh, but his, his lack of creation and lack of consistent three-point shooting has kind of caught up with him there. And now it seems like after a strong Chris Livingston game that, that we'll get more Livingston there. I guess Cal alluded to the fact that Livingston will start at the four now. I, I saw that on Twitter the other day. I guess we'll see if that comes to fruition. Um, but it it, it it does not seem that their talent level is as good as we thought, number one, with Toppin and um, Wheeler and Wallace aren't quite as good as we thought in the preseason. Um, and then they That's really a big part of it. They don't – I don't watch them. I'm like, I'm not scared watching them. And, and I think that's probably Wheeler. Um, who put up really good stats Wheeler, last year. I think it's also Kaysen yeah. and Reeves and Toppin. Wheeler especially, though, because he, he, he put up stats last year that would indicate this year he's going to be like a borderline All-American. And just the lack of shooting and... The, I don't know about his finishing numbers, but anecdotally it seems like he's not... He's just kind of like flying at the rim... Uh, not really finishing plays, and they, they just they and, and they the one shooter. Yeah. They felt very intimidating at times offensively last year with their trio in the backcourt. And right now, you do not feel that at all from watching like Severe Kaysen and Reeves or Severe Kaysen and CJ. Which Cal Perry is like trying to do everything to build the championship team, except what he needs to do, right? The, the easiest way to build the championship team is to, like, get a ton of top 75 and top 50 recruits. And then when they're juniors, your team's, like, a top five team because they've all stuck together. Right? Like, that's what Virginia did with Hunter, Guy, Jerome, and uh, Giakite. Right? That's what kind of UConn's doing now. Or, like, oh, all these guys are now sophomores and juniors that were top 50 recruits. And now our team is awesome. Um Kentucky tried to do it with the one-and-done freshmen, and they were really, really good, but they couldn't get over the hump. And now they kind of pivoted to, like, we'll get the best transfers and trying to build, like, a cohesive lineup. But now their talent's not good enough. What they need to do is, you know, keep the keep the Bryce Hopkinses of the world. and I, or, 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 like, to use a Duke comparison, you know, the Mike Benajays and Semi Ojales of the world. You got... You got to keep these guys around and get sophomore, junior, senior versions of these guys if if you're gonna win a title. I think yeah. Bryce Hopkins is like way better than any of their other fours. But it's it's easy to see why he didn't play much last year, especially early on this year. I mean, he was very sloppy and he was not a very willing defender. Now he's not he, he's not an ideal role player. No, he he has changed his game the past month or so. Uh, and it's given a lot more effort, and it's cleaned up on a, a lot of it. Um, but 
in, in terms of a, I mean, it's it's very hard to argue right now that Jacob Toppin or Damian Collins or Chris Livingston is a better player than Bryce Hopkins. I think the other problem you have is honestly like, when's the last guy you remember? I mean, how many guys do you think about at Kentucky as like guys who really got better while they were there? I'm sure we could come up with some like NBA prospect guys that were disappointing. Like Nick Nick Richards would be like the, is the name that comes to mind. Yeah, because I'm looking at last year's stats. Nothing jumps out to me in terms of massive improvement. Because I mean, like the the big the, the their big coup of the guy who came back. Nick Richards and Emmanuel Quickly are probably the last two. Yeah, Quickly is a good one. Honestly, um, like that group, and they were very good. That the team that um before the year that COVID canceled the tournament with Hagens, Maxi, Quickly, EJ Montgomery, Nick Richards, that might have been the recipe. Whether it worked or not, but like they had Johnny Juice hanging on that team. Got to keep him, right? I mean, even like EJ Montgomery leaves early. Ashton Hagens leaves early. But that's um, part of the problem. The whole, branding, yeah. the whole branding of Kentucky is we're getting into the league, getting to getting into the league, getting into the league. So any kid who coming is going to be wired not to want to come back. Right. And we we've we've touched on this a bunch of times with Shaka Smart, and I think it is at at this point almost like one thousand percent true. Is that you can't have a one and done big man if if you want a good team. Especially with how good everyone else's big men's big men are right now, right? Like, look at Khalil Ware and Derek Lively, like, and all 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 the bigs that Shaka had at Texas. Like, even when they're playing pretty well, they don't live up to the five star guards and forwards who have the balls ball in their hand and can create. They have a steeper learning curve. They're both physically, um, and in terms of just like learning the game. You need to play them because they're five stars. And then they go to the NBA after a year, and you got, like, a mediocre center production out of it. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's the question. Like, with Kentucky, like, now it's clear that they're not an actual title-type team this year. Like, what's the long-term vision? What's the long-term direction? Because they've swung fully back to the one-and-done. Right? With the class that they have coming in next year with Justin Edwards, DJ Wagner... Um, who else do they have in that class? Just a quick thing: uh, the eighteen nineteen Kentucky team with PJ Washington that that was probably their last guy that made the, the huge jump. Or, or, or I guess quickly the next year. You're right. Yeah, quickly did the next year. Yeah, right. But Kentucky next year has DJ Wagner, Justin Edwards, Aaron Bradshaw, Robert Dillingham, four top ten recruits, plus Reed Shepard. Like that's back to Kentucky, right? That's Four top tens, like that's true Kentucky basketball. Will it work? I don't know, but like it's a, it's a notable like strategic shift. And in theory, they can get some of these guys back, right? Like I think yeah. Severe Wheeler in theory could come back if he wanted to. I, I think like even Oscar true. could. Yeah, I feel like Oscar's done. The thing, the thing that's hard for me that I I think I'm like having trouble kind of wrapping. I think I'm having trouble trying to like figure out is like where like how much of this is just bad luck for Kentucky 
right? They had a very good team get tanked by COVID. They had, um, you know, Shaden Sharp in this class. Like, how much how much of a difference does this team look with Shaden Sharp? On this team, I think they're probably much better, right? I elite. mean, yeah, but probably elite because he's another guard who can score. Instead of Ant- Antonio Reeves, we're replacing him with a top ten pick. Right. They might still be limited. They might still have their issues, but Shane Sharp is a huge part of why this thing has not gone quite quite as well as planned. And, and last year, I mean, look, were they the same team down the stretch as they were in late in early February? No, obviously not. But were they really like like did they deserve to lose to St. Peter's? Probably not. Like they were built to be better. Like that's just tough luck. So like also from- this this tough luck bad luck thing. That's, I mean, you're going to have most of your seasons with the, quote, bad luck yes. when your standards are so impossibly high. Right. That's right. Like, it, like, if your standards are Final Four bust or championship and bust, and, like, you get one injury or, you know, one, one thing here or there. I mean, you, you look at two of the better programs in recent years. Villanova had a year where they were a one seed and they lost to Wisconsin in the second round. Um, and, and I think they had another one where they lost NC State in the second round, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I, I saw this with a football discussion, college football discussion, but I think it applies to basketball. Like, being a Kentucky fan has to be just miserable. Right. Like, I saw a Kansas fan last wins year. never must be feel like wins. Right. Like, I, I, I had seen Kansas fans last year prior to the Providence game in the Sweet 16, they, like, didn't seem to be excited that they were in the Sweet 16. It was kind of like a, here we go again. I, I don't think we're going to win at all. You know, when, when, like, you're in the Sweet 16, you know, how, you know, you, you're you're right on the doorstep, and, and, and they do end up winning it all. Um, but when when your standards are so impossibly high, you, you're going to have a great year, and, you, and, and you're not going to hit it, you know? It's got to be no fun. You the recruiting wins feel expected. Anything less than a Final Four is a disaster. Every night when you every, every time you lose, people are gonna act like the sky is falling. Like it sucks. Yeah. But anyway, that's Kentucky. Um, we do have breaking news to report on the podcast. Um, uh-uh. I don't know if you've seen this, Brad, I but uh, Indiana point guard Xavier Johnson had surgery to repair a broken foot per Jeff Goodman. He is out for a, quote, extended period of time. So who's the second best team in the Big Ten now behind Purdue? Well, let's first talk about what makes Xavier important to Indiana. He's their second best player and one of the best point guards in the country. Correct. But particularly offensively, like his ability to get downhill is critical because they just don't have that. Are they going to play Huchifino on the ball? If not him, then who? Right. Almost has to be, yeah. Galloway. And Hood Hood Chifino's been up and down. Yes. Um, but he he was a guy who draft Twitter had as a potential first rounder in the preseason with the caveat of he has to shoot it better. Uh, I know he's had some rough shooting games, but he's big, he's physical. Um they should still have a great defense with T- Thompson and Jackson Davis. At the four or five, and now I think I think what's concerning though, Brad, is that like we already know that they're good, not great with XJ. You know, and they're definitely worse without him. Oh yeah, which is what 
which is what prompted my thought of who's the second best because Illinois looks like they've been slipping a little bit. I still Ohio want State to be seems Illinois. very. I want to be of, Illinois, but they're zero and two in the league. And then you look at like Ohio State just looks very kind of middle of the pack. Michigan slipping. Michigan State's been banged up, and they're and they're not as talented as I think people thought after the first couple of games. Iowa did well without Chris Murray. Maybe maybe they could be the second best team in the league. I don't know about that. What about Wisconsin? Wisconsin could. I mean, Hepburn has been has been so good. Wall's been so good. I don't want to buy it, but like yeah. someone's gonna have to win these games. Exactly. Wisconsin's definitely the least talented of like the top half of the Big Ten. Yes. I do think it's going to kind of coalesce around like 12 and 8. Right. So like a team like Ohio State could wind up being it. A team like Illinois could wind up being it. I'm still a believer in the top end with Illinois more than any of these other teams. But just like the night to night just feels very, very touch and go. I mean, Terrence Shannon and Matthew Meyer are two very inconsistent players. They both have nights where they look like NBA picks, and then they both have quiet nights. Um, I I think if you you force me to make a, a pick right now, I think I'd I'd also take Illinois to come in second. But um, I wouldn't sleep on Iowa. Do we think Indiana is like a lock to be over five hundred in the Big Ten if XJ were out for the year? Um. No, I. I can you I, imagine? I just, can you imagine like if Indiana goes like nine and eleven in the Big Ten? Well, how when when the, when the your second best shift. player gets hurt, I, I I mean, what are you gonna do? I it it's like all these people were trying to make proclamations on Villanova or, or Creighton recently. It's like how how can you like look yourself in the mirror? And say definitively that Villanova sucks or Creighton sucks when they don't have their best players. Like I would agree with you, but I also think when you look up and you're like, oh, like this is the Trace year. This is possibly the only Hood Shafino year. This is the last possible year of Race's career. Like I don't know. I. Was this yeah, a couple weeks ago? We, I uh, was sharing the, the, those same thoughts I had about Iowa as the Luca Garza team was getting blasted in the round yes. of 32 against Oregon, um, and they've somehow uh, found a way to keep keep the train moving there. So I'm certainly not I'm 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 certainly not calling this the end of the the beginning of the end of the Mike Woodson era or anything. But I will say I feel bad for Xavier Johnson because Xavier Johnson. That was the 11th game of the year. So theoretically, he won't be eligible for a red shirt because he played nine minutes in the 11th game. Phil Phil Kofer did get an extra year with 11 games, though. I remember like losing my mind over that because Phil Kofer, the former Florida State yes. powerful. Uh, maybe maybe, maybe XJ will get one then. But in theory, if he couldn't, that would stink. I think it depends. I, I think if... Indiana plays 34 games. I think he could get. I, I, 
I think that was why, because I think it's one third of your games. So if Indiana, so you play 31, um, plus a Big Ten in the postseason would be 33. So I think that they was one one. I think they can get an extra year, but but don't don't hold me to that, and don't hold the NCAA to following a logical path. Yes. I would like to add a quote of the day in college basketball while we continue our podcast. And that is that Coppin State played James Madison at what was supposed to be an 11 a.m. kids day game. And um, the refs didn't show up (laughs) because they had forgotten to inform the school that the refs that the game was at 11 a.m. instead of 7 which is hilarious in its own right. The best part is they then they found refs to come for an 11:45 game. Game was delayed about 45 minutes, but post game Mark Byington, head coach at James Madison, said he had no idea who the replacement officials were and implied they may have been pulled off the street. This is good Coppin State stuff right there. It's classic Coppin State. Yeah, I see the quote now. Jordan Majewski retweeted it. It may have been pulled college. off the street. I mean, how how literal do we think that is? Like, did they call people that knew basketball, or did they just like pick a couple fans that wanted to earn some money that day? Like, did like Mark Mark Byington call his buddy who he knew uh, watches college basketball every night, or I don't know, or or the commissioner of the Colonial called his buddy. <laughs> I also have a great college sports quote of the day. Dabo Sweeney is the head coach at Clemson, often quotable. He was asked about NIL. He said, we built this program on NIL. Probably different than what you're thinking, though. We built it on God's name, image, and likeness. That's an all-timer like... right there. That That's honestly, honestly, I think every coach who doesn't have NIL like, instead of doing the, like, boring quote where every coach is like, yeah, you know, we want kids, you know, who, who want to be a part of our program, not just asking about money, right? I think instead of that, I think coaches should just stay, start saying that they their, their program isn't built on NIL, it's built on the NIL of God. <laughs> Two things. First, did you see when Joe Missoula, um, they, they asked, because uh, Harry and Megan were in Boston, and they asked yes, him if he yes. followed the royal family. <laughs> he said, the only royal family I follow is Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. <laughs> Incredible. Which I don't think he knows what the royal family is. Um, Not quite, yeah. <laughs> I, I, actually, three things. Uh, secondly, James Madison's not in the Colonial anymore. They are in... the Sunbelt. And this game was at Coppin. They're in the Sunbelt? Okay. Are they moving to Conference USA? Or are they part of the... No, they are Sunbelt, which is to play FBS football. Gotcha. Um, and thirdly, um, you, were, you were talking about the coaches who don't have NIL. Give the kind of, well, we want people to be committed. Um, Shaheen Holloway seems to be like, hey, we don't have NIL, and I would like it, please, so I can start paying recruits. He said, um, that, he said that to me when I was interviewing him for the story about the he was like, yeah, we, we got to really catch up on the NIL. I thought that, you know, Seton Hall, like, we'd be in New York City. Like, we could sell people on on that, but we need, you know, we need a collective type of thing. Because 
someone, I guess one of the reporters after the game asked him why they didn't have any recruits in 2023 at the time. And he was like, because we don't have any NIL and kids are asking for it. And I'm like, no money for you. Sorry. Um, he, also, which I, uh, he also really seems to hate his team. He does. Like, I always enjoy when you like you, you get like a pattern of like which coaches like clearly just hate their group. And some coaches are better at hiding. Like Matt Painter kind of hit it for most of last year. And eventually was like, yeah, I hate these guys. These guys are horrible coach. Um, but Shaheen has made no no qualms of like, yeah, like I, I actively dislike most of these players and wish I had new ones. Well, like Trey Jackson last year looked like he was on the verge of like maybe not all be all Big East level, but close for this year as a stretch four. He's athletic. He can really shoot. He's lefty. He can put the ball on the floor once or twice. This year he's been playing exclusively center. And now that's because Yetna's hurt. But, like, get him back on the perimeter. And Kadari Richmond has, has, has embedded the last couple of games. But he was another guy who, okay, maybe he'd be all Big East or close to it this year. He's been kind of the same guy. And then the, the role guys are just kind of whatever. Harris isn't hitting shots. Dawes has great stats, but he, he doesn't feel as impactful as double, double figures and 40% shooting would indicate. Odakali has just been kind of a non-entity. Um, and then Davis and Nadefo were fine. I mean, like Those are like your second, third best players. Every time you watch Seton Hall, you just end up with the same thing, which is like, why are all their combo forwards just making like random straight line drives into traffic every single possession? Right there. Turnover heavy. They can't shoot. Tyree Samuel starts off the game playing well, then he gets fouls and he sits for the shots that they are taking are not good shots ever. Because they don't have any creators. <laughs> well, and I, I will say this, like, like the blame should not be on Kevin Willard. The blame should not be on anyone but Shaheen Holloway here. Like Shaheen, Shaheen is a very good coach. Obviously, the March run proved it. He had two two top 100 defense or three top 100 defenses at St. Peter's, including two top 60 and was top 25 in defense last year at St. Peter's. That's unbelievable. Right. And they're 22nd in defense at Seton Hall. He's proven he can coach that. But offensively, their footprint right now is the exact same it was at Seton Hall or at St. Peter's, excuse me. Um, and part of this probably is the fact that he brought over Ryan Whalen, who is the offensive coordinator or ran the offense at, at, at St. Peter's. And a lot of people talked quite a bit about how, you know, brilliant the offense looked for St. Peter's during March. And it was very good, right? They scored 85 in Kentucky. They found ways to score. They shot the ball well. They ran efficient stuff. They were 1.1 points possession against Murray. They were, you know, 1.03 1. against Purdue. They were 1.1 against Kentucky, right? They were good offensively. But that was the exception, not the rule. Like, the rule for them was 327 in year one, 300 in year two, 339 in year three and last year they were 231 with a late boost they were not a good offensive team and so when you look up and you say well Seton Hall can't take care of the basketball they're 328th in turnover rate well they were 346 348 313 and 288 in four years under Shaheen at St. Peter's but yeah they're not really running efficient they're not getting good looks their effective field goal percentage is really poor well, yeah, maybe it's not surprising they're at 256 when the years before it was 283, 317, 321, and 266. And like this is another one, like, and I think I've said this every podcast, right? Yes, Alex Let Alex Yetna being out makes a difference, but like that 
he, he can't be the difference between being an NCAA tournament team and coming in ninth in the Big East. Like, sometimes you just have to get over these injuries. You know? Well, he yeah. might need to recruit his way out of this hole. And he doesn't have any money to do it. Which right. I I do think it's possible if if you don't have the NIL, right? I there is definitely a cutoff in, in the recruiting rankings where it goes from NIL needed to no NIL required. Correct. I don't know if that number is fifty one in the recruiting rankings or seventy six. Correct. Or but I don't know why one. they were recruiting in the way that where it's like let's get Scotty Middleton on campus, let's get Bay Fall on campus. If you have no money, you have no chance of getting Scotty Middleton and Bay Fall. Right, but maybe maybe especially the Scotty Middleton one is going to, to a loaded Ohio state roster. Maybe that's a, you know, putting the seeds out there for a potential transfer. Uh, because I think the, the, the way out of every hole has to be transfer. And if you don't have any money, it's gotta be just finding these kind of um, maybe not necessarily Bryce Hopkins level, but like Alondas Williams, you know, a, a guy who, Maybe he's not even on a great ACC or Pac-12 team, but was like a decent recruit or played a little bit. Giving those guys a, a, a new look or something. Um, or just developing top 200 recruits like Kevin Willard did with Jared Roden and Romero Gill and all those guys. Yeah, and I think it's also like particularly... Were there anything about the schools that have done it without a lot of NIL? Like we got, I know Wake Forest is, doesn't really have a lot of NIL. They just beat Duke. They've done a great job. Like their transfers, like Andrew Carr, they're getting more mileage out of Andrew Carr than Delaware did. You know, Tyree Appleby. Tyree Appleby has been awesome for them. Cameron Hildreth has developed, become awesome. Also looks like one of the McCaffreys, which is very funny. Um, Davian Williams, obviously, could they had a connection with Monsanto? Could they have a connection with like you got to piece it together? You got to develop players. So otherwise, you got no shot. So uh, let's see what else is on the docket today. Um, I feel like we've hit on a lot of the bigger, bigger programs. Big yeah, yeah, we you, touched do on. Do you care about the UConn struggles against uh, Georgetown, or are we not worried about it? Um, I obviously didn't see it because I was at yeah. the Providence game, but the the issue here is not it has nothing to do with UConn. It's that Georgetown does have talent. Um, it is so mystifying that they literally improved every position, got deeper, got more experienced, and are worse than they were last year. They're not worse than they were last year. That's an absurd statement. They. They are with the metrics. I saw um, the guy Hilltop uh, Hoya. He put that they're lower in Genpom now than they finished last year. That cannot be real. That's ins- it's insane. But that's that you know that was that was prior to the UConn game. Um, but that's that's the issue, right? Is that yes, Georgetown is better talent wise. Yes, they're more experienced. Yes, they upgrade every position. Um, if they're gonna be feisty and pick some teams off, that's that is scary for the for the Big East. In in uh, terms of UConn, I you know maybe they're not as insurmountable as we thought last week, but they've still won every game by double digits, um, yes. which is a feat in itself. Um, I did want to mention Houston because you talked about Virginia side of that Houston game, but I think that was a very important one for Houston given their loss to Bama. 
and now pretty much locks up that I think they'll be a one seed. Right, because you have Memphis, who's who's very good in the American, but they're a couple tiers below Houston. And they're only playing Memphis once. Or no, excuse me, they have them twice. And, and if you look at the rest of the American, uh, Central Florida looks feisty, uh, but Cincinnati, Temple, Tulane, they even Wichita, they, they don't look as as good as maybe we thought in the preseason. Yes, and even like SMU, yeah. South Florida's have been worse. Tulsa, they've all been worse than I expected. SMU's almost like 200th Yeah, the rankings. No, but Houston is now favored to win every single game left on their schedule by double digits, except for road UCF and road Memphis. Because, you know, in the preseason, we had Tulane and Temple like around 75-80. Okay, maybe they could make a push to the NIT. I haven't seen Tulane yet, but Temple's is – that's not going to happen. Temple is Ma- now 6-7 and seven after their loss to Maryland Eastern Shore. Reynolds got hurt. He was pretty good, uh, but, but but they weren't playing up to their talent level. Probably. Temple should needs to move from Aaron McKee. Absolutely. What a disaster. Hey, uh – Matt Matt Langle didn't want the LaSalle job, supposedly. Coach of Colgate. Maybe he'll take Temple. That would work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then Cincinnati was a team that every preseason podcast, I think I talked about, I like them a little bit more the more I look at them. Um, they they have not looked the part at all. They're kind I of I thought Tulane in person the other day. Oh, what did you think of the wave? Just okay. Probably should have beaten George Mason, but didn't. They're just like a they're like a piece or two away. I mean, you look at their resume, right? They've beaten they're six and four. Their wins are against two twenty seven UMBC, three fifty one McNeese, three hundred four Charleston Southern, two hundred four Rhode Island, three twenty eight Louisiana Monroe, and one eighty seven Buffalo. Their losses are eighty nine Nevada, one twenty eight Western Kentucky, one sixty five Fordham, and one twenty Buffalo. Or not one twenty, but one twenty George Mason. Excuse me. That's that's not a very good resume for anything. That that's me feeling good about my under ten and a half league wins bet on Tulane. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, the AAC is not very. It's like yeah, Houston's a like guaranteed to go sixteen and two. So. At worst. Yeah, they could win. They could honestly run the table. Memphis is actually very good. I think Memphis is better than anticipated. All right, and and they're playing a ton of guys. They just got Franklin in there. They just have no shooting, like none at all. They're big and physical, and they have one of the best point guards in the country. Um, yes, but they can't shoot any. They can't shoot at all. I I watched them versus Alabama, um, and they they like didn't hit a three for like the whole game or something, right? And nearly uh, won. Them losing to Seton Hall remains a bit of a head scratcher. A banked in three point buzzer beater by Tyree Samuel. It is funny how, like, with the narrative with Seton Hall would be very different. Like, Seton Hall has two, like, like kind of legit wins and only one bad loss. Yeah, if if, if they beat Siena, they would maybe... They'd may, be fine. Yeah, the whole season would be different. No one, yeah, no one, no, no one would realize that they stink. That would be the thing. Yeah. Because they lost Siena, everyone realizes that they suck. But um, Even though, Chandler like, Lawson starting now. He is not washed. Chandler Lawson... Back. Um, we 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 touched a little bit on, on on Ohio State, but they are they're getting good good mileage out of their freshmen. 
Sense the ball is a leading scorer, and then he's unbelievable. Thornton's a starting point guard, and Gail and Akpar are chipping in a little bit off the bench. Um, so they're set up pretty well for the future if guys stick around. Which do you think that sense of ball is a one and done still, or yes? Ooh, that is not what you want after they lost EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham early last year. And I don't Washington think EJ was an unexpected though. It was not, but um, Malachi probably was, and. Whether Dwayne well, Washington honestly, was honestly, it would, or not. I mean, it would speak to the job that Holman does. They're like clearly a tournament team every year, despite keeping losing like foundational pieces a year early. Like Dwayne Washington was a year early, yeah. Right, right, but Ohio State fans don't want to hear like round of applause for a round of 32, you know? Oh, I agree. Yeah. I agree. But but so you're like, right. They, I mean, the, the, the early entries is almost in insurmountable you know because transfers are one thing you know maybe you lose like a at worst or at best like your third or fourth best player transfers unexpectedly or something but when it's nba early entry i mean that's that's your best player usually malachi brandon would be like a top 10 player in the sport this year if he was back absolutely although bruce thornton has been tremendous and he is not a one and done Uh, we didn't I didn't. Um, I was unable to watch the Xavier Seton Hall game, um, but from a general Xavier perspective, it is weird that their defense stinks and they play two bigs. Um, that's but their bigs are unathletic white dudes. But even so, usually that's that's a recipe for disaster. I like agree. Two bigs and your defense still stinks, but um, they're but they like, hung on against Seton Hall. It's been unreal. Boom, boom's been unreal. They sh- sh- shoot the cover off it and. Even uh, Colby Jones is shooting it better. Um, is uh, Colby Jones still a first-round guy? Um, could be. Because if he stuck around for another year, then you know maybe they could be really, really something next year as well with the class they have coming in. Um, and guys like Desmond Claude and Cam Kraft find their footing this year. Um, oh, should we? Um, I I wanted to do a quick revisit on the list of the sub 75 ranked um, freshmen from this year that were hyped up in, in the preseason. Okay. I'm, and then we're I, up on pod, but yes. Yes. I made this list on October 17th. You know, guys who, who you'd see, whether from beat writer or from national analyst or somebody, oh, you guys don't understand, so-and-so is much better than his recruiting ranking. I will read them off. You can say whether you think they've lived up to the hype or not. Okay. Then Alan Lubin. E close. He's Doug a legit rotation player. Doug McDaniel. Yeah, generally. Desmond Claude. No. Riley Kugel. Um. No. Guy who I think might be the best player on this list. Mongolian Mike. He is awesome. I love yeah. Mongolian Mike. Lamar Washington. Did you not have Noah Clowney on this list? No, I think he was better than 75. And he was I didn't, 78 I, in the composite. I didn't see a ton of um, preseason stuff on Clowney. Lamar Washington, he's playing a lot more than I anticipated he'd play, and he's been good. Same with Pop Pop. Yeah, Pop Pop, he uh, shoots the cover off it. Pop Pop is elite. Uh, Barry Dunning. No. Alfonso Billups, VCU. 
I haven't watched VC this year. Yeah, yeah, no idea. Um, was Chris Bunch now Chris Bell? Seems like he plays a lot, but I really haven't watched enough Syracuse to say. I don't think he's played that well. Um, Prince of Ligbay's hurt, but he seemed to be pretty good. Aiden Mahaney, St. Mary's. Yep. Uh, Jaden Pierre. Not enough. No. That was, that was over overhype. Yeah. Uh, DeZante Bowen. Nope, not good. Tay Davis. Kind of. Flash here and there, but kind of no, normal freshman. Sean Jones, Marquette. Flash here and there. Dylan Hunter, Clemson. Doesn't seem like he's really the catalyst to their team being good. No, I checked his stats the other day. One, like 1.8 points a game in like five minutes a game. Um, Bobby Clintman. No. Not really. Jaden Henley, Minnesota. No, not really. Actually, th- more, more pain in JOJ. Uh, this guy definitely, Braden Smith. Yes. And, and then, Fletcher, uh, for that matter. Last but not least, this guy's a, a resounding no. Uh, Colby King for St. John's. Mm, He's no, I, had to, I had to like double check who that was. He's not even in the in the rotation. Oh, I will while we do this shout out a couple of names that you did not mention that are like legit have been really good or have been useful at least. Um, like Kyron Lindsay is playing a lot of Georgia. Austin Nunez has been like sneaky very good for um Bobby Early. Austin Nunez is averaging. I'm not going to assume Austin Nunez with Adrian Nunez's brother, which is not true. He's only averaging like five points a game, but Austin Nunez has been like a legit impact freshman. Um, you mentioned uh, a couple of those guys, but Sincere Harris certainly has been impactful. Yeah, for, for someone who's so thin, he's like a pretty powerful defender. Like he's yes. he's up in you. Um. Anyone else that I really wanted to mention here? Let's see. I don't think so. Um, I like Chase Ross from Marquette. Yeah, Chase Ross. Um, I think that's all. Um, I guess Taman Lipsy. There was a lot of Taman Lipsy you don't understand. He's not like a hugely statistically productive guy, but he's eating a lot of minutes and playing point guard on a potential tournament team. Keba Keda for Utah has gotten a lot of minutes. I told the mid plus not to take Kepikata. That was wrong. Donovan Dent to be Mexico. <laughs> yeah, that's a whoops. Donovan Dent's good. You made up for it though with uh, Bryson Goodine, so. Yes. <laughs> I think I'm more often right than not right when I say, eh, like hold off. But I think that's the case with most players generally. Most players are not as good as their hype is, you know. So I don't want to take too much credit here. Right. It tastes because he was 190 starting a point guard for a potential tournament team. So, same with Braden Smith starting a point guard for the number one team in the country. But. That's all I have. All right. Well, we will wrap up the pod at uh, now. If you uh, listeners want any more CB Central content, sorry. Um, we will have you back after Christmas. Enjoy the holiday, folks. Enjoy Diamond Head, and uh, we'll see you all next week.